welcome to Punta Vista, episode 123. Uh, I'm Andrew, and I'm joined as usual by my dear sweet friend Ben. Hi, Ben. Hey. Oh, that was nice. Well, we're pretty nice around here. We're the podcast with no obvious beefs with anybody. Is that true? Or like no, no like shared beefs at least. Like I feel like we have individual grievances with people. I mean, like we have issues with people, but no other, you know, podcast or celeb also has issues with us. It's not like a two-way beef. I'm just glad that we're not when we're not on anybody's radar enough to get complained about. Yeah, that's good. That that is a blessing. Yeah. If we ever become popular enough that like someone with a reasonable amount of clout goes after us, I think I'm just that's it. Just I'm done. leaving. I'm I done. don't want to be went after. Is that ridiculous yeah, no, of me to I don't, say? I don't want to get got. Basically, yeah, no. don't want to be pursued. No, don't need any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hate hear, to be dragged. Uh, the man who doesn't want to be dragged. Mm-hmm. It's Theo. Good morning, Theo. Good morning. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions on, on anybody because I love oh, you all no. dearly. Um, we spent about five minutes trying to work out what was going on with, with Ben being unable to add comments to the, like, um, like little review comments that pop out from the Google Doc when you... Mm-hmm. And yep. I noticed that after that, which was... <laughs> You know, it's a worthwhile process, but uh, you know, it did take some time and some some effort to get that up and going. Uh, he's highlighted one sentence and added a comment that says "seems cool." Okay, I, I also noticed that. Yes, <laughs> the highlight was so that I saw the sentence. The comment was not the important part. <laughs> It made it seem like the important part. I got a notification sent to my phone. Look, I'm not going to tell you guys how to. You know, whatever it is, how yep. to manage a team. But uh-huh. I don't think you get the best performance out of a team by berating them for trying or micromanaging. Stuff. No, yeah. okay. Look, I understand that's all part of the process. Oh my God. And you know what people really want to hear from a podcast? Mm-hmm. Update on how their shared Google document is going. <laughs> wow. On how we manage our affairs, yes. Yeah. And speaking of managing business, taking care of business, if you will. Uh, we're joined by a guest who's had to sit there and listen to all of that just now, who's been uh, waiting very patiently. Uh, friend of the show, man about town, and editor of Business Insider Australia, it's J.R. Hennessy. Hey, guys. How you doing? We're doing very well. I, um, I hope you were excited to hear about the Google Doc and how it gets updated. Yeah. I hate um, being on podcasts and not having been introduced yet. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I can't weigh in on the banter before the person gets introduced. But luckily for me, it was so shit that I didn't even feel compelled to. There wasn't even anything to add. No. Nothing important. You don't Absolutely. have any shared document-based zingers you just want to throw out now? or No. There's nothing funny about Google Docs, really. <laughs> you don't have a tight five on Google Docs. No. It's just an oh, unfortunate okay. fact of life, you know. Well, well, just you wait until we get to the sentence that "quote unquote" seems cool. Yeah, and okay. We'll see if cool. your mind gets changed. You know? Please flag it when we do reach that part of the discussion. <laughs> I'll use well, the code phrase "seems cool" to indicate yeah. that it was that sentence. Cool, that's clear. Got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh dear. Um, so from from the wide world of business, it seems like there's been an awful lot of wage theft lately. And by lately, I mean probably all the time and forever. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, but it, it certainly seems to be coming up a lot now. There's been a whole lot of it getting exposed uh, recently. And one of the one of the biggest high-profile cases of the last, I guess, several weeks, uh, Woolworths, groceries giant Woolworths. Yeah, no, uh, Woolworths have been stung on a very large scale, substantial scale, bigger than almost anyone in recent memory uh they are facing sort of a 300 million dollar hit uh for underpaying i think about 5000 i believe is the number staff over the course of possibly since 2010 i think um which was when they uh, when the, the most recent award was installed um and uh yeah no that's uh, a substantial amount of money to be not paying someone accidentally or so the, or so the story goes yeah but like they haven't had too long to, to sort it out it's only been nine years well well exactly um and i don't know if you've ever worked in an office 
uh, <laughs> working with numbers, but it's very boring. And there's a lot of things to get across <laughs> in the spreadsheet, you know? <laughs> there, there are a lot of things I would rather do. If I had to list all of the problems that I hadn't solved in nine years, oh, I'd be here all day. Do you want to do like your top five? No. <laughs> I can and give you enough. one. Long power lunches. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to those, you know? I can't think there'd be any changing conditions that would mean people didn't do those anymore. Why don't we yeah. bring them back? Yeah, did you see that New York Post article the other week? Uh, it was like the other day. It was about how millennials have killed the power lunch or whatever mm-hmm. um, because they don't have them. Um, and one of the reasons that it gave is that um, I think it's like restaurants in Manhattan don't have like big, nice dining rooms for people to do power lunches in anymore. <laughs> so that's that's one problem. That's one yeah. significant problem. And I'd say, yeah, I don't know. And part, and part of it, I guess, is we're all. Um, uh, ground down to the bone by um, the current state of work on the planet and we don't have time to do long power lunches. I think it was the first thing mostly, though. I think it's the size of the dining rooms. You really need Mm. to be able to gesticulate wildly. You want to be holding a T-bone steak by the bone in one hand. You want to be holding a comically enormous glass of champagne in the other. And you want to be screaming at all of the other executives that they need to start selling more. And there's got to be like a, a thick cigar fog just obscuring <laughs> the entire arrangement. A stratosphere of it just exactly at eye level at all times. Mm. I like oh. to think we are still keeping the spirit of power lunches alive by still getting day drunk, though. That's true. Yeah. That much mm. has remained. I mean, that's part of the thing, I guess. I like to have my own personal power lunch where I sit at my desk and continue working while eating uh, $10 dumplings by myself. Hmm. Are you still getting that from the same place? Yeah. The, the mysterious sure dumpling shop. <laughs> yeah. It's just a great... Uh, I just want to put it out to you. If there's any of the listeners in Sydney, uh, there's a place on the corner in Surrey Hills that does dumplings. Uh, t- $10 gets you 16 dumplings and a pork bun. And oh, you you can't sniff at that kind of value. Is this Could the you- one where, like, two years ago, it came out that they had, like, a whole bunch of rats infesting the place and every single person that frequented this joint is like shut the fuck up i'm gonna continue eating the rat dumplings no that was that's chinese noodle house and i I was i was among that chorus telling everyone to shut the fuck up that exact same thing happened at uh trang's in west end which is just a large uh sort of pan asian restaurant that sells everything and the you know, health board or whatever came out and was like, yeah, it's fucking disgusting. There's just like vats of black slime everywhere. And everyone was just like, yeah, man, it costs like nothing and the food is amazing. Fuck yeah, you. The black yeah. slime is where the flavor comes from. Come mm. on. Delicious. I, and look, I don't want to speculate on the um, industrial scale wage theft that has to happen to allow dumplings to be that cheap <laughs> to, pull us, to pull us back on subject. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah. the, this dumpling restaurant is actually at the bottom of the list we're about to go through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's great. just leave cool. that particular veil unlifted. Cool. Although I think this place might be cutting corners cost-wise in other areas. Could you maybe explain the the ambience? The whole... The way they advertised themselves when they started, in particular. Yeah, I, well, so... The... Where this dumpling place used to be, there was a burger shop called Rush Burgers. It wasn't very good. It was a bad... It was a bad place. I went there once, had a substandard burger, never returned. Anyway, one day it was just vacant, so obviously it had gone out of business or whatever. But then, like, the next day, the dumpling place was set up in the sort of the carcass of this burger joint, uh, and they had not changed the fit out at all. <laughs> it was exactly the same as it was before, and all they had done is they had taken, like, a... Um, a strip of paper printed out on Arial font and just stuck over where it had Rush Burgers and now it just says Rush Dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's these gigantic, like, A2 pieces of paper that basically just explain what the... They have, like, a... They, they came in hot with, like, a loyalty program where you text the number then they they text you back with, like, the, the code word for the day and then you can get, like, a dollar off your order or something. Anyway, this is explained in, like, excruciating detail on this gigantic A1 piece of paper pasted on the window of the restaurant. Um, and that's it. That's all they did. And then there's, like, three guys that run it. I have no idea where they source their dumplings. But like I said, $10, and that includes a pork bun and 16 dumplings. And I believe it actually comes with a can of drink as well. 
Oh, oh my God. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't sniff at that kind of value. But no. you, can, you can certainly speculate on how they, um, what, what their profit margins might be uh, and where else they're um, cutting out their expenses. Most likely wages, I suppose. That's the uh, first thing to go. Yeah, it's the first and possibly cleaning. Who knows? <laughs> possibly, I don't know. I've I've always maintained um, any time that anybody speculates about like the the cleanliness in the the back of house of a restaurant, uh, my position has always been: Why would you want to open that Pandora's box? Just exactly. enjoy the food that they bring out to mm-hmm. you, and then go on living your life. Don't worry about it. And if you become ill, just be like, huh? And then just Guess get, away, don't just go to get that over one it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, you know. Uh, so, from the story of Woolworths here, so yeah, up as much as three hundred million dollars in underpaid wages. So that nine years. So I'm just going to double check that number with you real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a three followed mm-hmm. by five zeros. Here we go. Sure. That's three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> That's like a pretty big amount of money, but for a company like Woolworths, can I have several more zeros on that order, please, sir? How many would you like? Start with one. Okay, so $3 million. <laughs> yeah. Wow, holy shit, that's a lot of money. That's, I'm going to need you to that's add... More, more than I will ever have. One yes. more? Okay. Oh, $30 million. Yep. Now... Oh. Now, that's Cook more em. than a dollar for every man, woman, and child in Australia. Absolutely. I'd, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's my political platform. A dollar for every man, woman, and, and child And now, Ben, what you're going to do is you're going to add just one more zero on that. Three hundred million dollars. Yeah. Oh, sure. It seems like a lot when you say it like that. Three hundred three zero 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 zero. Yep. That's that's, that's it. A million dollars for thirty people in Sydney terms. That is twenty houses. <laughs> no one wanted to correct that. <laughs> Uh, you know my position. I will not ever be correcting anyone on anything with a number in it. <laughs> and fair enough. Due to my stupidity. $300 million just seems like a lot of money to me. Absolutely. Um, which makes it sort of ring slightly hollow when they sort of suggest that it was just like an error of auditing or, you know, whatever. Because that is just a, a lot of money to not be paying People. Just a little oopsie. And Someone forgot to carry a one mm. and yeah. several zeros. As we will find out, uh, their whoopsie was the mistaken belief pervasive throughout the entire company, its entire HR and accounting departments, that you don't have to pay salaried employees overtime. Hmm. Yes. And as we will come to see, that appears to be a, um, a widespread oopsie. Among a lot of people <laughs> in the Australian economy, um, and and there were there were a number of other um, uh, allowances that weren't being paid, um, which are you, uh, entitled to under the award under Australian industrial relations law. You know things like meal, like even like meal breaks and laundry allowance and things like that. So that obviously added to it as well. But overtime was sort of the brunt of it. Um, and when the story originally came out, it was sort of Woolworths being like, well, would you, would you look at what we found? This oh. whole, <laughs> dearie, dearie me. Um, this is, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, this that, that sort of thing, which is often how these stories, um, not all, um, sorry, not, not always, but sometimes how it gets revealed is the company will come out and be like, hey, folks, um, look, we've been reading the books and we're sorry to inform you that we owe $300 million to our employees <laughs> or, or, or whatever. Um, but then obviously a day later when um, the, cause obviously the, the, the SMH and the age who have been breaking sort of the majority of the stories about wage theft and underpayment, um, they've been doing an incredibly good job at that. They came out the day after and sort of did their, you know, behind the scenes of how the story was broken. And then it turned out that, it wasn't uh, Woolworths admitting their mistake out of sort of the goodness of their heart and their obligation to their employees, but rather um, it, it it was one, basically literally sort of one employee who asked his mate who was an um, a employment consultant, uh, does this look right to you? And then that mate just going on an absolute warpath against Woolies <laughs> over the course of a, quite a while, I believe, until eventually they couldn't, um, they could no longer... Um, ignore the problem that was sort of unfolding before them yeah but have you considered 
this quote from Group Chief Executive Brad Banducci, who said, As a business, we pride ourselves on putting our team first, and in this case, we've let them down. We unreservedly apologize. I and that's that- this week's... We're sorry. We're so sorry. So sorry. Yeah, that's very nice. Very nice thing to say, I suppose. <laughs> uh, somewhat after the fact and somewhat after, you know, being, being forced to do so. Uh, it does say here from the SBS, the announcement overshadowed the release of Woolies' first quarter sales growth that, driven by the success of its Lion King Ushis. Oh, my God. Ushies? That is by Angie Cellador. I think. <sighs> you, you hate to say something as um, a product as incredible as the Lion King Ushi <laughs> undermined <laughs> by systemic wage theft. They're at the top of their game. <laughs> and this brings them Yeah, they were, they, were, they were soaring on the back of that. And oh. Obviously, they, they'd just gotten over when that farmer cut the Ushi's head off on live TV. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> to, 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 uh, to protest um, water? I can't remember the exact connection of Woolworths. It was a combination of uh, water and online bullying. Um. <laughs> That's right. He was like, I'm going to show the trolls, like, kind of the head off the thing they're making fun of me for or whatever. I can't remember the... Have we, have we talked about Ushi's before on the show? Do we? Uh, there are a whole bunch of international listeners just losing yeah, what their mind about what the whatever fuck the are they fuck talking word about? saying. This all of this happened while George and I were in the states, and I like didn't have internet for most of the time. But I like logged in one day, and I just kept seeing the word Ushi over and over again, just being like, "What the fuck is this? What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh, and now, obviously, I'm obsessed with them. I have thousands. <laughs> uh, uh, am I and- to understand? Yeah. They're not... I'm sorry, I'm just trying to clarify that quote that you gave us there. Um, mm-hmm. Not all Ushis are Lion King themed. I, I really couldn't tell you, to I'm be honest. Actually, I actually don't. I don't know. I can't... I actually have no idea if it was like a promotion prior to... Because the word Ushi doesn't really seem to suggest <laughs> Lion King. I don't think that's a word from the Lion King canon. <laughs> um, Certainly. Okay. After a quick little Google search... <laughs> Um, I believe that um, uh, they do. Yeah, they're like Marvel Ushis and things like that. Okay. Um, and also, just just um, a, a little thing for the, a little bit of trivia. When you search Ushi, you get that oh, little. Yeah. Um, you get that Google people also ask window, <laughs> and, and then the first one is what is an Ushis, and then the second <laughs> one is are Ushis squishy. And having having uh, received one myself, I can confirm that they they are. They're quite. They they're, are squishy. That's true. They're not like, like incredibly to... squishy, like a stress ball or something. But they have. They're quite firm, but they do squish. They've got some give in them, and they're also pencil toppers. Like that's what they actually are. And no. I feel like nobody Th- in the doesn't, world doesn't has really... used one as a pencil topper. No, it doesn't really come up in discussions. But they are pencil toppers. You are supposed to put them on top of a pencil. My uh, people also ask, served me up some different questions. Uh, the first question, the same. What is an Ushis? Uh, <laughs> The second question, what is Spirit Mufasa worth? The third question, how much is a blue Ushi worth? Yeah. Uh, how, how much worth is a more blue than $10,000. That does not seem true. <laughs> the Ushi has flecks of silver embedded in its rubbery skin. <laughs> well, my kid's got one of these in their bedroom. Should I be selling it for $20,000? Oh, yeah, I'm not sure it is because I, when, I when I received an Ushi out of curiosity, I was like, I need to get my hands on one of these things. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was just like caught up. There's like tulip madness in like the Netherlands in the 16th yeah. century or whatever. Yeah. Um, I just seemed to get my hands on one. And as soon as I opened like the, the packaging, it, I was, it was a blue Ushi. And I was like, my Lord, I, I just opened $10,000. <laughs> but it turns out it's like a very specific blue Ushi that is actually worth $10,000. Um, when you say actually worth... <laughs> Like people will pay ten thousand dollars for it, maybe. So I, I, I meant of like objective worth. It's like gold. You could you could peg a currency to it, is what I'm saying. The Ushi standard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and then Woolworths got cancelled for Ushis because they're like pumping out all these plastic and rubber objects into a dying planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they've got their new thing, which is like. Um, 
something garden, like inspiration garden or whatever, where uh, it's like discovery garden. Discovery garden. That's the one. It's it, it's where you collect like small plants that you can then put into a garden at home. And to my understanding, it has not taken off nearly as much as small rubber mufasas for obvious <laughs> reasons. You could, on the face of it, it just doesn't have the same sort of value. I feel like. I am a very old person watching Beatlemania happening and failing to understand it entirely. Oh, I'm really glad. Like, my kids have got a bunch of both of these things around the house. Um, but I'm very glad that they have not gone psycho about them. I'm glad that there, there hasn't been any evidence of any kind of, like, uh, collector slash trading mentality coming <laughs> there in is a, There is a threshold. Because like some kids and parents did go certifiably psycho over Ushis. Oh, like, yeah. People, people doing the trading groups on Facebook and trying to buy things and so on, which, of course, led to the infamous farmer cutting the head off the expensive um, Ushi. Doing an yeah. ISIS beheading video <laughs> with a very small toy. This is very fun about it. My favorite part about that video, like that Today Show segment was like 12 and a half minutes long, <laughs> <laughs> which is just an absurd period of television to dedicate to anything. <laughs> it must take like a, I don't know, a, a wonderful kind of, I, I imagine your mentality working on that kind of segment must just be beautiful. You must just have to kind of let go. You must yeah. just kind of have to say, yes, whatever you hand to me, I will very willingly produce a television segment about it. You just got to let history unfold before you. You are its steward, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Give the people what they want. Um, unfortunately, what a, what a lot of people want is to be paid award wages. I guess. Uh, I, I, yeah, it seems to be a, a desire among a lot of people. It's that millennial entitlement. Yeah, I think that we've all seen. Um, uh, I so think that, yeah, and I think that um, the recent sort of. Uh, fact that there's just been like an absolute explosion of these cases is that people are just more aware now because of them like obviously like a few outlets have been have really sort of um hit the issue very hard and as a result people are kind of like huh actually you know what i am entitled to overtime or i am entitled to be paid the um the figure that's clearly outlined on the fair work website um yeah i guess um uh, as a sort of sideways question about this I find myself wondering sometimes about things like this where like surely anybody who has ever worked in or had a friend who has worked in a cafe or a restaurant um, anywhere in Australia knows about wage theft, knows yeah. about, um, you know, people getting paid cash in hand. Um, so, you know, they're not getting paid super and they're getting paid less than minimum wage and their bosses generally do lots of exploitative stuff where they say well you know if you demand on getting your $15 an hour which also isn't the minimum wage um, so I'll just give the job to somebody else all that kind of stuff it, it seems it seems to me like such a it's been such an incredibly open secret of the world of at least small business for a very long time now um, and it kind of makes me think of the the whole uh, Greyhound expose that Four Corners did where they said, hey, uh, has everybody ever thought about the whole uh, just murdering thousands of greyhounds every year for gambling thing and showed a bit of footage of it. And seemingly overnight, the country went, oh, yeah, that's that's fucked up. And we should probably stop doing that. Um, and it seems a, a bit like that with the wage theft stuff, where it just seems like it's been that open secret of the country for so long that everybody kind of knows about, but we all just live with. And then all of a sudden, a, a bunch of media outlets start reporting on it at once and it turns into this big, big rolling ball of momentum around it. Uh, I wonder I, how much of it do you think is driven by media coverage specifically and how I mean, much of it is yeah, media outlets saying, oh, there like, yeah. there's an actual appetite to know about this stuff. Yeah, there's a kind of, uh, I think there's multiple things. One is that uh, the unions have really been pushing it. That's been like their campaign, like a, a central campaign for a little while now. Um, and I think partially that might be because, you know, uh, they lost on penalty rates and things like that. So now they're like, well, you know, if you're not going to pay us, if you're taking away our entitlements, then we're gonna really going to make sure that you are actually paying the ones that we still have. Um, so that's I think that's kind of an issue there. But also, like, the, the, the coverage has also been... 
about some of these some of these much bigger companies which uh should know better i mean on the one hand you can sort of hand wave away small businesses paying cash in hand and blah blah blah, blah and so on and so forth you can wave away rush dumplings yeah i mean that's, yeah, that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> i'm defending rush dumplings here um because in the sense that, you know, exactly as you say, people are like, well, that's just unfortunately how the lower echelons of the economy work and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Um, but once these bigger companies like Woolworths and things like that get exposed for it, people are, are less likely to give them the benefit of the doubt. And especially when it's like George Calambaris or whatever, which I think was like a fairly substantial tipping point for a lot of people as well. It's like that, so it's that prick from the TV and he's ripping people off, mm. you know. Um, people hate to see that. Uh, but, you know, there's been, like, lots of other smaller things as well, like um, the, the the fact that the government, for a, a, a long while now, like, the Liberal government has flagged that it is willing to criminalise underpayment or, or wage theft, um, which is fairly substantial. And you, you do need to, obviously, when it's... Uh, a liberal like a coalition government talking about doing that you have to wonder what the what the upside is for them um and i think part of it is probably because uh they don't particularly like the award wage system anyway um they are more inclined towards you know the work choices way of handling things through individual employee business contracts and they maybe they want to undermine that i don't know um but the fact of the matter is there's been like all these different on all these different fronts, be it, you know, the media are talking about it more. There are big companies that are being hit for it. There are very, like, visible companies like Rockpool and George Calambaris's outfit. Um, it's sort of coming together and making people realise, actually, you know what, this probably isn't acceptable at any level. Um, and also uh, another aspect, which I don't think is getting talked about a lot, but I think is relevant, is um, the fact that the cash economy is dying. So yeah. it's getting harder and harder and harder to get away with it. Um, you know, the, as of this year, um, they've the ATO has implemented that single-touch payroll thing where basically, like, they manage the whole workflow for accountants from their declaration of their income, their GST, all the way to, like, uh, employees lodging and filing tax. Um, and it's become overnight basically almost impossible to... Um, run a dodgy cash only business uh, because you're the, the tax office will catch you now so as a result that's got a blow on effect where it's like you can't really get away with just giving a poor migrant worker 10 bucks an hour in cash um without somebody finding out about it hmm. so there's a lot of different things i think that have sort of like coalesced that have made the average person in australia be like oh i guess it does suck when people don't get paid for their I think, jobs um yeah, I, th I think Calambaris and the celebrity chefs in particular, like like you're saying, are uh, they're the real kind of nexus of a bunch of different things. They're they're well known enough for people to be able to actually kind of you know put a put a face on it rather than just you know like you're saying nobody nobody particularly cares to see just a a single small business in the paper saying hey yep. these people were underpaying their four staff totally. <clears throat> because yeah, it's it's not particularly noteworthy or of or of interest to anybody besides the people who frequent that restaurant. Um, whereas with someone like George Calambaris, it's you know he's somebody who's on TV, he's somebody with a name, with a brand, and, and he I sucks. Think, which and he I sucks. think helps. Um, I I think also the fact that the reason that people like George Calambaris and the other celebrity chefs are well known enough is because they've had these big, successful, sustainable businesses for years now. Totally. And that's, that's a large part of what their identity is. And I think that really, um, that really undercuts any arguments that they can make about, oh, we just, we just kind of didn't know and it was all a bit too complicated, which sort of aligns them with the, the Woolworths uh, sort of case of, well, you clearly have accountants and you clearly have you know the infrastructure and payroll like, like for payroll for paying you know dozens or hundreds of staff yeah this is like the instance where it's truly laid bare that that's just bullshit right like i mean you yeah, kind I mean, of swallow it on a small business sense even though it's almost certainly not true but you know here it is clearly they just don't give a fuck 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you lo- if you find out that your local dumpling joint is not paying its staff correctly, or not paying overtime, or they're not getting proper meal breaks and things like that, you might be like, "Huh, oh, that's that's unfortunate," but that doesn't really surprise me. But if you look at you know Rockpool, um, you know Neil Perry, the one Neil Perry fronts, um, they have systemically underpaid over the course of a very long time. Uh, they own like you know Fratelli Fresh and things like that. You know, you're like that's a that's a chain Italian restaurant where you pay 40 bucks for a pasta. It's like, why are they not paying their staff correctly? Um, and then the story came out also in the SMH and the Age about Rockpool, which again sort of puts the lie to the idea that it's just about the complexity of the award when it turned out that they were literally like shredding pay slips, <laughs> which is like, that's it. You can't be caught doing that. Yeah, they were going back and like re- rewriting people's timesheets. Yeah, they, stuff, were, they? they were getting them to alter their own time slips and things like yeah, that. Where it's like, you know. Um, there's some like someone on Twitter did, did this said something really funny. They were like, you know, the, the the award is so complex that you just you don't know which pay slips you're allowed to shred or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and, and like you're saying, it, it does completely. I mean, in in order to you know actively go about defrauding the award wage, you have to you clearly have to actually know what it is, like yeah, and totally. what you're supposed to be applying. Yeah, I mean, there's the it, it's kind of like trite but you know there's everyone says it now it's like you never hear about cases where someone's fucked up the award and accidentally significantly overpaid an employee or whatever oh no oh but you do um as someone pointed out just recently commonwealth bank uh mistakenly paid a whole bunch of bonuses that they shouldn't have paid um and i'm not sure how long it took them to work it out but they basically said hey uh you need to give us that money back please yeah (laughs) I think it took them, um, I'll just check my notes here, but I think it took them less than nine years to figure out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it probably did. Yeah, no. But yeah, like, obviously, there are outside examples, but it doesn't, it certainly doesn't come up. No, no, no. You're, you're 100% correct. Very I, just, often. I thought that that was, that was yeah, very funny. It, was, that- it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and look, you know, to some extent that, you know, Australia's award system can be complex. Like, you know, there are aspects which are difficult to get your head around, like, um, and especially for companies that aren't large, you know, trying to work out, you know, where your, your employee might sit in terms of, like, the um, uh, the different tiers within an award, um, you know, where some employees might be covered by one award within your business, whereas other employees might be covered by another. Like, there obviously are complexities, and they inevitably will be for a system that has existed in almost unchanged in its fundamentals since sort of the 1950s. Um, but also, then you look at the fact that all of these celebrity chef restaurants, basically, in Woolworths, um, in a bunch of other cases, it really comes down to the fact that people are just not being paid overtime, which is not really a complex problem. That's yeah. like, you know, if, if your staff are, you know, working an extra 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or whatever it might be and not being paid for that, that they're donating their time to you. And that's not, um, that's not a very difficult problem to get your head around. So that, that whole, um, argument sort of falls to bits at that point. I, I think there is a, there is an issue with like the restaurant industry that is specific to that industry and, and some other industries as well, less so than for like, uh, banks and Woolworths and Sunglasses Hut and, and that kind of thing, sure. which is that um, it's something that I've I've spoken about on the show before, which is that some industries like uh, you know uh, restaurants and uh, like a lot of things that have um, a lot of things that have that have any kind of alignment with different creative industries. I'm sure it's very similar for. Um, a lot of forms of writing. It's very similar for like um, design and that kind of stuff where there's there's this pervasive culture of everybody wants to be here doing this. Mm. And, you know, if y- you need to be willing to make sacrifices and do what it takes and show that you really want to be here, otherwise someone else is more than happy to step up and take your place. If you insist on being paid the award wage that you are legally entitled to, Oh, I could get someone else in off the street who would do this for half of what you're doing it for. They just do it for the love of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think for the higher end restaurants like um, like Neil Perry's and like George Calabaris's, I can guarantee you that within those businesses there would be a pervasive culture of 
this is this is a place that looks amazing on your resume and we're doing you a favor by letting you work here, let alone paying you anything. Um, and that probably goes hand in hand with like apprenticeships at places like that as well, where you're expected to work, you know, outrageous hours for barely any money. But yeah, I think I think there's a whole thing of asking for what you're actually entitled to is a is a selfish thing and you're not being a team player and you're not doing what you're supposed to do in order to sort of pay your dues to work at a place like this. And um, I remember, like, my sister-in-law is a chef. And I remember her saying about, um, you know, moving up through different restaurants and then going over to London and working in a series of places. And, and you know, she sort of said the same thing about, um, yeah, everywhere that you go, it's like, well, you got to work crazy hours here for less money than you're actually worth, but it's paying your dues. And then when you get to the next place, it's really going to pay off. And then you get to the next place and they're like, well... You just got to pay your dues and take a bit less than what you know that you're worth. But then once you hit that next level, it's really going to pay off. And then you go to the next restaurant. It's got like a big name and you're one of the head chefs. And they're like, you just got to pay your dues. And it just kind of never ends for some reason. It's just this uh, never ending series of cresting a hill and going, oh, look at that big mountain up there where I don't yeah. get paid. That's no, to- t- totally. And I think like that, that's totally part of... Um, the the restaurant industry as it is with many others obviously another part is that the restaurant industry especially at the lower levels is staffed hugely by migrant workers who probably or possibly don't know any better a and b also have sort of the looming threat of being kicked out of the country over their head as two um, which makes them unlikely to report these kind of violations um but also and i think a good thing to come out of you know Woolworths and sunglasses hut and whatever is sort of um, the fact that it this is not a problem that's endemic just to the hospitality industry, even though it's very visible. And like we said before, everyone has kind of on some level known for a long time that to eat food at the prices that we're eating at it now, um, someone is getting screwed at, at some point in that chain. So people kind of knew about it. But also, like, you know, this is like an economy-wide thing. So many industries are um, uh, are doing this. They're doing this through all different vectors. You know, um, sham contracting in the construction industry, for example, is uh, is endemic, and that's how people get underpaid. There, it happens in the media. It happens in so many industries um, through whatever means, be it like uh, not paying overtime or not paying penalty rates or you know whatever. Are, are doing this so i think it's it's good that we're sort of seeing some examples pop up which aren't just restaurants um even though uh you know i i i did put a shout out when i did an article on on bi that was like you know if you've had any issues with underpayment feel free to um shoot me an, an email or or send me a message or whatever and i over the course of like a week i got so many um messages and a solid chunk of them were from uh, restaurants, basically. But a lot of them were, um, as we said before, like small ones, family restaurants, uh, just like uh, here's an Italian place up in uh, Rockhampton or something. And it's like, well, you can't really do a story about that, you know? As, as you said, it's like no one is really interested in opening up the newspaper or clicking a link and reading about some restaurant in the middle of nowhere that's not paying people correctly. They'd be like, well, okay. Yep, that sucks. It sucks I guess I'll con- sorry. I guess I'll continue not eating that. Yeah, cool. Um, whereas you know, but reading about five thousand employees of um, Woolworths being underpaid three hundred million dollars, uh, which by the way, when you divide that up, it's like hmm, that's a lot of money for each individual person. Um, it becomes a, an issue. that's like, oh shit, this actually has like proper large economy wide sort of implications. I guess um, one of the other things that's interesting to me about all of this is that part of the argument that's made by the businesses involved is that everything's everything's too complicated. And in some cases, I mean, uh, to read to you from your own article in The Guardian mm. earlier this year, um, you were talking about the, uh, the directors of the terrible sushi pizza restaurant that we yeah. did cover on the show at the time. Mm. Um, Sash directors Kyle Staggle and Dave Nelson, who seem otherwise committed to the viability of Hawaiian-Peruvian-Japanese sushi pizza as a profitable and why enterprise. why wouldn't you be? 
appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald to announce the collapse of their Sydney venture due to a confluence of unfortunate factors, including, quote, high wages, high rents, a slowdown in consumer spending and Uber Eats. All four seemed like potential bullet points in a responsible restaurant business plan, but the internet took particular opprobrium with the commentary on the wage issue. That and the fact that they managed to spend $900,000 on the fit out, but that's an argument for another day. Uh, quote, most of our competitors who have been successful over the past few years have been paying staff under the award rate. It seems the only way businesses can stay ahead, he told the Herald. Does that mean hospo workers are drastically overpaid for the value they produce for a business? Probably. <laughs> Uh, you continue it could possibly indicate a cultural rot within the hospitality world if basic adherence to workplace law is considered a noble sacrifice putting aside whether or not we believe that sushi pizza constitutes an unholy union unfit for human consumption we can probably agree on one thing he shouldn't have said that Uh, (laughs) it it definitely seemed like just saying the quiet part loud moment yeah it was like Sash was a really funny because Sash is like literally next door to our office as well I walk past it like every single day um, <laughs> on my way to work and just and but looking inside there A I noted the incredibly expensive weird industrial fit out but B the fact no one was ever in there anyway so it was like it was such a transparent thing of like it seems like you've set up a, a terrible business like it seems yeah. like you you, you the street that it was on in Surrey Hills is like, there's not a, a tremendous amount of foot traffic up and down there, um, it, but it would be incredibly expensive to rent other anyway. Um, and it's just, it, it really stood out. I was, and as I said, obviously, Sushi Pizza doesn't sound particularly good. I think their Melbourne joint does okay, um, but I, I, I don't know. Um, but it was just like a, a weird, yes, it was like quiet part loud, but it was such an obvious case of like, blaming a business that just failed um after like three months like you can't blame wages for your business collapsing after three months um uh it was just such an obvious case of blame shifting onto something that uh restaurants have blamed for so long um which is having to pay their staff properly um, but the timing of it was among all the other problems when for the first time the whole country is basically thinking about wage theft and thinking about underpayment and being like the reason our sushi pizza events are collapsed was because we had to pay people to make it um was it was just a spectacular example of bad timing um and i I guess it's it's also a weird coincidence that out of all of the things that um that went into the decisions around opening this restaurant such as the venue the fit out uh, what you're actually selling to people, the branding, uh, and all of those things. It was the one thing that they didn't have any options about doing, which is just uh, paying the legal rate that was the thing that made the business fail. It wasn't any of the things that they could have had a hand yep. uh, in actually steering the direction of. It's just a strange coincidence. Yeah, no, totally. And it's like, you know, I think I said in the article, it's like you don't ever, you don't really hear businesses appearing in a newspaper complaining about the other stuff. You don't see them get there complaining about high rents or the cost of produce or or whatever it might be. Um, it's only ever the fact they have to pay people that, and it's because in the past there has been genuine political capital in that. You know, like that that argument flies for so many things. That argument flies um, uh, in so many sectors of the economy that you know Australians are paid too much and workers demand too much money and the minimum wage is too high and their penalty rates are too high. Um, and it's been going on for so long that, um, but we're possibly at the first time in a while, um, where once people make those kind of arguments, people are like, actually, you know what? That does not make any sense. Hmm. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I guess what's, what's interesting with the larger businesses that we're talking about, um, uh, Michael Hill Jewelers, the Super Retail Group, West Farmers, Qantas, Commonwealth Bank, the... The sort of endless refrain in all of these things has been, um, number one, whoops, we we yeah. found a genuine, honest mistake, a miscalculation. Uh, it's not our fault because, you know, it's so difficult for our massive accounting department, department to figure out what we're supposed to be paying people. Um, but I guess the second part to me is that in all of these cases where these people have been bought before uh, fair work... They've said, you have to pay back all this money. You have to pay back $300 million. And they've all gone, 
okay and paid it back and the business didn't collapse you know no nobody went under nobody went bankrupt or anything like that all of them just said oh sorry everybody we'll give you your money now and then things just continued on so it kind of also indicates that you know it's not actually paying workers the the award wages that they're entitled to that is the difference between these businesses being able to run and not no, yeah, it's just I mean, the difference between shaving a big chunk of extra profit off the backs of your own workers Woolworths made one and a half billion dollars in 2017 right so they clearly don't have to steal from these people so it was it's one and a half million dollars oh yeah. boy <laughs> all right well, I'll, I'll teach you about numbers after this bit. okay all right yeah <laughs> Yeah. But it's a big uh, one, right? And doing like underpaying people for nine years for, for $300 million, you divide that out, right? Um, it, it's like it, it barely touches their, their bottom line at all. It's just a decision that they, that they chose to do. Right, like yeah. in in the end, they it's not it's not a small business that would collapse if they if they you know, you know the way that they the small restaurants tell it or what have you. It would collapse if they didn't do this. Like if we if we paid the the thing that we're supposed to, which we consider to be too much, that would swing us from the green to the red. Right. Whereas yeah. with Woolworths, it's clearly it's not the case. It's just something that they sat down and they they calculated out and worked out that it would cost them less to set it up this way so may as well do it and i can only imagine you know the the great example that that you know we're talking about this guy that's um the the uh, manager um who you know realized that he was being underpaid and took it to him that they immediately kind of saw this slide across their desk and go oh fuck like no one no hr person in woolworths or no lawyer in woolworths would have seen that come across their desk and go Oh shit! That applies to everybody, and not just this guy. Uh, there's a real, uh, there's a real chance that like we are going to have to uh, eat a lot of crow on this. Um, and so I think that like then for them to go on and to try and address this as an individual case uh, is extremely cynical. Oh yeah, totally. Um, just to just to bolster that point, uh, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, in April, Commonwealth Bank will reimburse millions of dollars to about 8,000 staff after underpaying wages and other entitlements due to errors in its systems. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. The bank on Tuesday confirmed that it started reimbursing staff for the botched payments, although botched (laughs) kind of implies, you know, an accident or a mistake, uh, which also included superannuation. The finance sector union estimated the bank could end up paying as much as $15 million to current and former staff. The CBA apologized for the errors, sorry, uh, pledged to pay all amounts owing plus interest and said that its first tranche of payments to workers could be worth $4.8 million. The bank Which again not- is, is nothing for a, for a company that makes um, over a billion dollars profit every year. Uh, the bank did not confirm or deny the union's cost estimate and was unable to say how many tranches of payments there would be. The payments cover a range of problems going back as far as 10 years within parts of CBA and its fully owned Bankwest. Uh, in one case, the entire staff of Bankwest missed out on a day's pay. Um, so just for context, uh, in 2018, Commonwealth Bank uh, made a, a cash net profit of $9.233 billion. Are they the most profitable business in Australia? It'd be up there. It's got to be close, right? I mean, you'd possibly be looking at, apart from like the mining giants. um, Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, But yeah. Um, And another thing that doesn't get mentioned quite as much about this, but the unions do love like to go on about, is the fact that one of the reasons that this problem has ballooned is that um, sort of core union business of of your which is like literally union reps marching into businesses and checking the books um has become almost impossible uh since about i think it's 1996 or so um a legislation passed which still makes it f- possible for a union rep to do that in a large chunk of businesses but is subject to so many requirements that they basically don't do it um and as a result these uh Systems have become so opaque. Um, the pay of especially these larger firms like Commonwealth Bank and like um, uh, Woolworths and things like that. Uh, as you as you could see in like the Woolworths story, when SMA is talking about what happened um, during the reporting of it, um, 
the employment consultant found it really, really hard to obtain more information about his client, who was, you know, his friend, uh, because Woolworths was able to immediately push back and say, you're not a valid union rep, so you can't come and check this information. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that it's very, very hard for um, a union rep to genuinely do that. Um, obviously, the the SDA and Woolworths have a, quite a buddy-buddy relationship, so it, it's open as to whether they would even allow, want to do that in the first place. But, uh, yeah, no, the case is that there's just a, not a huge amount of oversight over these things anymore, which lets these problems sort of get out of hand. Because obviously the businesses, as we've been talking about for the past hour, have an incredibly strong um, motivation to not resolve these problems. Um, and this is where it ends up. You end up with $300 million owing. Um uh, which fortunately is apparently really easy to pay back. It's you, you know, it's uh, a water under the bridge. It's all good. You can just toss it on the pile. Um, is there is there any signals at all, um, kind of that that there will be a move towards these sorts of acts being um, more severely punishable? Because I think you know we we talked yeah. about George Columbaris and the absolutely pathetic slap on the wrist that he yeah. got, which ended up being less than the interest if he'd have, you know of him holding on to that money for that period yeah. of time, right? Which is just you know it's it's clearly ridiculous. Yeah, no, there there is like um, uh, Scott Morrison and Christian Porter, the Attorney General, have repeatedly flagged that they are trying to work out a framework for what they are going to do uh, about this. They say that they will criminalise the more severe infractions, which I suppose would include things like your Woolworths, maybe your George Carlin viruses. They haven't really indicated what the threshold for like the, a more severe infringement actually is. Uh, and they're obviously facing pressure on both sides. The, the, on the, the one side, the business lobby, like the Business Council of Australia and things like that, AIG, are putting out um, heaps of statements and reports and all this sort of thing, basically saying that um, you shouldn't call it, um, you shouldn't criminalise it, uh, you shouldn't make it a crime. And the reasoning that they tend to give is, A, the classic, like, it'll be a handbrake on the economy, whatever. Um, but their other argument is that uh, it will incentivise uh, companies to do a much better job at hiding it. Um, huh. It'll make it, and, it'll, and it will make it far less likely for businesses to come forward and admit they've made mistakes. Which, as we've uh, as we've said, you know, isn't really an argument that holds up anyway. Because as as we've uh, argued, it's pretty unlikely that nobody at Woolworths knew what was going on. Um, uh, and whereas on the other side, obviously the unions are very very pro this. I think the ACTU. I'm speaking off the top of my head here, but they basically want to institute like a, a, f a mandatory or, or possibly a maximum sentence of five years in prison for people found to be doing this as well as far more substantial fines which run into millions and millions of dollars uh, i think that i think it might even be like a million dollar per per in um per infringement which is quite large especially if you're looking at the case of um Woolworths, where like they have you know possibly five thousand um infringements um so it looks like the government is sort of trying to will likely find a solution that sort of sits in the middle of those two things. But they have flagged that they are going to criminalise wage theft at some level. Um, and it, it, it really does speak to where the discourse is at when, um, you know, Christian Porter and Scott Morrison, of all people, are using the language wage theft, which until recently was something that, you know, only the unions were saying in Australia. Mm -hmm. It is. It's almost a trite point to make, but you know, I think plenty of people have, have said already. You don't get this kind of amnesty in the other direction, right? Like if you're someone that's just been shoveling cash out of the register into your pocket at the end of the the night every night, you know, you, you can't expect that kind of amnesty that they're, absolutely that they're asking for. Um, even though they are the ones that hold all the power, they're the ones that are you know um, uh, cynically performing these actions with the with the clear knowledge of. Um, that it is, you know, uh, reducing the wages of the people that that uh, work for them in a way that contravenes the, the law. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, in the end, though, if 
you know, if the, the government actually gets around to implementing this among whatever the rest of their agenda is, um, that they, I'm fairly sure they probably will institute some sort of amnesty period or amnesty process whereby businesses that have historic wage problems will be able to come forward and be like, okay, here we go, and then not be subject to criminal penalties, which, you know, might be, unfortunately, sort of the only way that you can make this sort of thing work. Uh, but um, it does seem like, especially as more and more of these stories come out, um, it's going to be impossible for the government to have been promising this for so long and then sort of, you know, keep kicking the tin along forever. I'm sure they're not in top entirely happy that they have to do this, but the pressure is too great. Uh, now, before we run out of time today, we have another segment that we have to do. Uh, that is, of course, an installation of Nature Corner. So, uh, we need a theme for Nature Corner. It's going to play the theme song. Mm-hmm. Yep. Theo, have you got any... No. Did you, <coughs> you finish you that put one? Together a, we started together that a one. Um... <clears throat> So, I've been well, doing a lot of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily for you, um, I received a message from a uh, f- wife of the show. No, wait, lover of the show, Mark, uh, who said, Hello, Andrew, dear. As we all know, sweet Theo has been tasked with coming up with a theme for Nature Corner, a segment on your podcast. Uh, we couldn't help but notice that he was struggling with this burden, and we took it upon ourselves to make one for him. Uh, so, here we have... A new nature corner thing. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. Winter is a nature corner. Rubber crabs in the ditch. Wow. Nice. That is oh, the theme. A great burden has lifted off me. Uh, apparently, that is uh, 18 of our patrons singing the vocals. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, Who went away and organized this thing. in secret. <sighs> and they gave it to us. It's uh, lovely. Yeah, it's real, it's truly real community over there on the Bunta Vista Discord. Thank you so much, the it grubby little is. pigs that frequent it for this mm-hmm. delightful thing. And I believe the uh, I believe the lyric at the end, if I'm identifying co- it correctly, is uh, "Robber crab snipped my dick." <laughs> <laughs> Love I those robber crabs. I think that's what I'm hearing. They're so big. They're huge. They're very big. They're so big. It's very upsetting. Uh, so here from the Guardian, we have a story about an aircraft worker has been gouged in the eye by a falcon that lives in a Qantas Sydney airport hangar, creating what the union has called a quote. Unsafe work environment. Uh-huh. I think you could call it that. I think you could. Uh-huh. Yep. I yeah. don't think that that is, that that is unreasonable. Uh, multiple peregrine falcons, including at least one small family, live, nest, and hunt in the hangar. Falcons have been there for at least 20 years and have turned it into a known roosting site. But on Tuesday last week, one of the falcons attacked a worker, causing significant damage to his eyes, neck, and face. Jesus Christ. No. No, I don't like it. <sighs> Uh, really, really horrible thing to think about, I think. Uh-huh. A peregrine falcon attaching itself to your face. The Australian worker is getting a short shrift at every corner, you know? <laughs> they're being underpaid in one hand and then they're having birds rip out their eyes <laughs> at the other. Yep. Yeah. Being reintroduced uh, into the food chain. You hate to see it after all these years. <laughs> we thought we were doing great. Yeah. Uh, the- the birds cannot easily be removed because they are a protected species and Qantas has allowed them to stay because they keep mice, rats and pigeons away. Guardian Australia has obtained an internal safety warning issued by Qantas that confirmed the attack and told staff to wear safety goggles till the end of breathing season. <laughs> uh, and in wonderful, wonderful corporate speak here, uh, the warning said, Maintain clearance from any falcon activity. <laughs> If you are swooped or observe the falcon, please report the location and activity observed. If you observe the falcon, sounds like a Mars Volta album. <laughs> uh, maintain clearance from falcon activity is a wonderful <laughs> sentence, I think. Uh, staff in the hangar provided images of the falcons to Guardian Australia. Peregrine falcons are the world's fastest animal they and can sure swoop are. at speeds of up to 300 kilometers per hour. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. When you start describing an animal's speed in terms of like 
mark numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've got a real real chance of getting away from it once you observe it. It uh, it sucks when you walk into an aircraft hangar to pick up some tools or whatever. You hear a sonic boom, and then all of a sudden you wake up in the hospital with bird-related injuries to your face. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I love the, the sort of... Um, We've we've started. There's a, a trend has been begun about like wars between birds and people in Australia. There was this, and then there was the the, the Kevin the Kookaburra story from the other week. Oh my god! Oh, no. Talk about that on here. That deserves a mention for sure. Oh, you, Do you want to yeah. talk us through that one, Hedo? Sure. Um, well, the uh, the the thrust of it is that there was a, a bird by the name of Kevin the Kookaburra who was something of a local hero uh, around, a, 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 <laughs> about a, around a pub in Perth. Um, he seemed to be someone who would show up in the pub's beer garden and uh, entertain the children. I believe he was something of a cheeky bird who was known for um, uh, taking chips off people's plates and so on. Cool. Yeah, anyway, those are cheeky yeah. fuckers. Yeah, so, but the, the unfortunate... Uh, conclusion to Kevin the Kookaburra's short life uh, was <laughs> last weekend uh, he stole food off someone's plate. I don't think it was ever specified in any of the reporting exactly what was stolen. One chip, uh, two chip, uh, an entire pork cutlet. There's no way to know. I mean, you know, the, by the powers of inference, I would assume probably a chip. That seems to be the sort of thing that a bird would take. But anyway, um, but the... The man who's uh, who had been subject to the theft by Kevin the Kookaburra then grabbed Kevin and tore his head off and threw the body under the table and continued to eat uh, in front of a bunch table. of people. Yeah, yeah. So, and obviously that that's quite um, quite shocking, and uh, a lot of kids saw it, I believe. Uh, and now it's been uh, it's become something of an international incident because the guy who did it, having been subject to obviously quite a bit of uh, online criticism for ripping a bird's head off at a pub, uh, mm-hmm. has fled the country. Huh. <laughs> have we uh, have we put Interpol onto him yet? Uh, no, no idea. No idea. I just could, I, I I'm trying to find the quote as I say, but in like the original story, like they quoted someone who worked at the pub who clearly still shell shocked by what he had seen was was said something along the lines of like, "Yep, that's something that'll stick with me for the rest of my life." <laughs> oh. And it would. Yeah, and it would. Yeah, it would. the the murder of Kevin the Kookaburra. Now um, we're just about out of time, but we do have a very quick uh, letter from the mailbag here. Uh, hey gang, and I, I thought this is a question you might like to answer for us, Anna. Um, just a quick question from your recent discussion on the latest episode. In terms of Australian cryptids, uh, do fabled big cats, e.g. the Blue Mountains Panther, count? They are certainly treated like other cryptids, but are obviously less magical slash fantastical compared to your Bigfoots or Yowies. Maybe this is indicative of Australia's generally low-aiming mentality. Anyway, love the show. Thanks, Andrew. And I just want to stress, I did not write this letter to myself. You know what, folks? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that the Penrith Panther and similar big cats are cryptids. And my reason for categorizing them as such is less to do with the creature itself and more with the people that are obsessed with them mm-hmm. I, th- they have I think there's a cryptid community around them certainly <laughs> they have the, the the kind of um bloke who is really obsessed with the penrith panther um has a, a certain aesthetic quality um very similar to a person who would be obsessed with a yowie and i feel like you would be doing that hypothetical person a disservice by not calling it a cryptid yeah, it's not so much the um, it's not so much the idea of a big cat itself or a panther or or a jaguar or anything like that that is mythical. It's more the status exactly. of the creature is, is def- definitely mythical in nature. And it, it's all it, it's folklore. People talk about their their sightings of it. It's got all the signs, you know. It's a cryptid to me. My only argument against why they would be cryptids oh, or why you would call them cryptids. Sure. Uh, is that they're all real? Okay. I mean, I mean, <laughs> except are they? Are I think they? we is, should. No, they I are. agree. Let's just oh, dispose right. of. Let's dispose of the category altogether and just accept that Bigfoot is an animal. 
<laughs> well, I mean, as common as a as a as a kookaburra or another ape, you know. He's an animal in the sense that man is an animal, certainly. But I don't I don't like the connotation that's there. He's hyper intelligent, he, almost. <laughs> sure, it's smarter than you or I. Two hundred fifty IQ on Bigfoot. <laughs> he has no problem with processing numbers, unlike he some people on the show. Any number of oh, no. well, 3D objects in his head, uh, yeah. very easily. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, there you have it, folks. That's official show canon now. The Blue Mountains Panther is a cryptid. And real. And real. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Hanno. Um, where no worries. Where can the people find you and your various r- uh, writings and musings and such? Uh, you can go to my uh, Twitter, at J.R. Hennessy. You can go to my website, jrhennessy.com. You can go to uh, Business Insider Australia to see my uh, reporting on a more regular basis. And you could come up and say hello in the street if you ever encountered me at the shops. Um, but that's, yeah, the, the, those are my channels. I feel like flipping you out, flipping you off from don't the open flip me window off, of please. an Uber. I have a very sensitive disposition. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and um, yeah, as always, folks, if you would like an extra episode of the show every week, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Vista. That will also get you access to our exclusive Discord where you can coordinate uh, gang vocals on a theme that will be featured on the show at some point in the future. I feel like that was a once-off, but... Yeah. It could happen again. <laughs> it could happen mm. any number of times. Look, so far, they, it's happened once and it made it way onto the show. So, good precedent. Yeah, one for one good precedent you know uh if you would like to write into the show please send an email to mailbag at buntavista.com and if you would like to leave a message for us to uh listen to and potentially respond to on the show please call the Bunta Vista hotline 1-800-317-515 if you're a u.s listener and you would also like to do that uh you can call 732-876-3446 uh, and that's it for us, folks. Thanks again for joining us, Hanno. No worries. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye. Bye.